Hey guys, it's Bradley. I want to tell you about Ascend. Ascend is not just another premium finance company. Ascend will solve all of your agency bill problems through automation of invoicing, premium financing, carrier payables, all the way to the end of the workflow. There's a lot of hidden costs with how you're doing business today. AMSs, CRMs can spend more than half the day chasing down payments, following up on non-pays, getting signatures for financing docs. This leads to an overworked, overwhelmed, unhappy team. And guys, you want your team to be happy. Industry's hard enough as it is. We really need them to be happy. As your agency grows, this issue gets worse and worse. And we typically solve the problem with a little bit of software, but a ton of manpower still involved. With Ascend, you can use a software first solution and just need a little bit of manpower, allowing you to grow without significant increase in overhead. Ascend automates all of these repetitive payment processes so your team can get back to helping your clients. With Ascend, we've seen non-payment cancellations in our agency go down up to 95%. Teams save more than 20 hours per month when they work with Ascend and an average of a 75% decrease in payment-related customer questions. Guys, if people aren't calling your office with questions, you have more time to sell and grow your agency. Visit useascend.com backslash insurance, guys. Guys, Ascend makes agency bill as easy as direct bill, but you keep all of the benefits of agency bill the best of both worlds. Thanks, guys. Insurance agents from around the world, welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast, powered by Glovebox. God, I love Glovebox. My name is Scott Howell, your fearless host and leader, insurance agency owner and insurance evangelist for iProtect Insurance and Financial Services, based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And before we get started on today's episode, please help me welcome, he is a six foot three sophomore from Mobile, Alabama. Parade First Team All-American Rivals five-star recruit. He is a fantastic insurance agent and a great American. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome the incomparable Mr. Bradley Flowers. How are you, Bradley? Great, Scott. How are you today? Best I have ever been. Guys, this is a big podcast today. You've been trying to get this one for a while. This has been a year in the making and uh, over a year. Tough guy to get pinned down, but I'm going to tell everybody something. There are not too many people in this world that I look to in the insurance space and uh, I guess you could say look up to. And last week, my friend and great American, Mr. Billy Wagner, tweeted and said, Scott Howell gave the best leadership talk at Jason Cass's event last year that I've ever heard since I've been in the insurance industry. And that, that meant a lot to me. And... The reason I only reason I bring that up, I don't bring that up to brag. I bring that up because part of the talk I gave at Jason Cass's event, the gentleman that we have on this podcast today was a part of that. And, uh, he is a brother to me and, um, we, we grew up together in Hamilton, Alabama. And, you know, Dr. Billy Williams always says this successful people leave a trail, a resume of success throughout their life. And this guy that is on the podcast today, ladies and gentlemen, they haven't written storybooks about him, but they should because he has done about as much in his life and left about as much of a resume of success as anybody that I have ever met. And, uh, I'm just, 
honored, truly honored to have an American hero on this podcast today. And I, I watch the Jocko Willick stuff, I, the the Ryan Shaw. I think Ryan Shaw now has something like two two point four million subscribers to his podcast, Military Podcast. And I wanted this guy to come on today, not only because he's he and I started spending the night with each other when we were about six or seven years old, but I wanted to talk about leadership. I wanted to talk about lessons learned in the military. And I think this is also a podcast that a lot of people in Hamilton, Alabama, where we grew up, friends and family are going to listen to. And I think it's incumbent upon us for the younger generation, maybe from Hamilton, to listen to this podcast now that we're old men or older than we were, to hear some people who maybe came from that area that have gotten out and become successful in life. So, so there's a lot of reasons behind this podcast today, but I want to give him the introduction that he has always deserved. Ladies and gentlemen, he's originally from Hamilton, Alabama. He currently resides in Niceville, Florida, and he is married to the beautiful Tracy. They have three very handsome young men, two of which go to the University of Alabama now. Jack, 22 years old, Nick, 20, and Drew, 16. And boys, I'm going to tell you something right now. I hope that all three of you get to listen to this podcast. You should be very, very proud of your daddy and what he's accomplished in his life. And if you can do half of what he's done, you've gone a lot further than most people have in your life. But you should be very, very proud of him. So the next time you see him, I want you to go up and hug his neck and tell him you love him because I know that would mean a lot to him. He is a 1994 graduate of the University of Alabama with a bachelor's degree of science in physics. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he was like a 3.9 GPA when he graduated from Alabama. He can confirm or deny that. And was also a member of the Air Force ROTC. In a career that spanned over 24 years in the United States Air Force, He has served as a pilot of the AC-130H gunship, commander of five different separate special operations groups, attended the Institute for Defense Analysis, and ended his career as the commander special operations air warfare center and commander of the 492nd special operations wing at Holbert Airfield in Florida. On December the 5th, 2001, He was awarded the Silver Star for gallantry in combat. I'm going to read that to you in just a minute. In connection with military operations against an opposing armed force near Kandahar Airport as an AC-130H aircraft commander. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my distinct honor today and pleasure to introduce to you my brother from another mother from Hamilton, Alabama, Colonel Nathan Green. How are you, Nathan? I'm great, Scott. Uh, you're too kind and too, too sweet. Thanks for having me on today. Dude, it is it is an honor. Now, that's the earliest Scott has ever cried in a podcast episode. So normally it's at the end. Well, I want to read everybody this. There's going to be a lot of insurance agents listening to this. Before we get started, Nathan, we got a lot of ground to cover. So this is your citation. President of the United States takes pleasure in presenting the Silver Star to Captain Nathan C. Green, United States Air Force for gallantry in connection with military operations against an opposing armed force 
near Kandahar Airport, Afghanistan, on 5 December 2001. On that date, as an AC-130H aircraft commander, 16th Special Operations Squadron, Captain Green's mission was to provide close air support and armed reconnaissance to a combined team consisting of U.S. Special Forces and anti-Taliban forces. Surviving the air, surveying the area between the friendly position and the heavily defended airport, Green realized the required attack orbit would take them directly over the heavily defended airport. So he led the crew through a unique partial orbit attack while destroying targets. The crew detected the launch of two infrared missiles coming from an area near the airport. Captain Green directed the aircraft and crew through defensive maneuvers and procedures to perfection, defeating the missiles. He displayed great leadership ability and bravery as he directed the crew of 13 officers and non-commissioned officers back into the extremely hostile environment. Captain Green repositioned the aircraft to precisely engage an enemy compound containing multiple targets that threatened air and ground forces. As the crew scored numerous direct hits, the enemy weapons ignited and engulfed the entire compound in flames. As the intense fire from the explosion illuminated the gunship, another infrared missile was launched at the aircraft from a much closer range than the previous missiles. He flawlessly handled this threat as he had the other two, defeating the missile. Intelligence credited the crew with destroying six SA-3 missiles, one truck, three towed artillery pieces, and two towed rocket launchers. By his gallantry and devotion to duty, Captain Green has reflected great credit upon himself, the United States Air Force, and the United States of America. I have a question. You go. That day, that night, you get back home to the barracks. Probably had, did you have a debrief that night? Oh, yeah. I was worried. I bet. Last thing my boss told me was, whatever you do, don't fly over the airport. <laughs> hey, how long did it take or did it, when did it set in with you? What, what just happened? How close you were to having a very bad night? Did it take hours, days, weeks, or did, did you ever, or did you just go on about your job? Well, we'd been shooting for over a month at that point. So, you know, the first shots in combat were, you know, a time of reflection and real quietness on the way back home, you know? Right. Uh, after we figured out this was a real war, you know, the ROE was what it was. And uh, we, you know, we were directed to kill a bunch of dudes and blow a bunch of stuff up. You know, the, then the fangs came out a little bit. And mm -hmm. uh, so we were ready, you know, the night of the fifth and we were, we were ready to take it to them. But, you know, when you start getting shot at and it gets closer and closer, you know, you, you worry for your guys a little bit. But, you know, honestly, other than not getting hit ourselves, we were just worried about that team on the ground that was trying to sneak in there. Mm -hmm. You know, very few guys against a bunch of guys. And if right. they didn't have a little bit of top cover, it probably wouldn't have been so good. They don't like to, uh, in, those, in those awards and stuff, they don't like to uh, mention the, the human casualty part of all that. But that's really what it's all about, not the trucks and the missiles and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, yeah, I was a little worried because, like I said, the last thing my boss told me was, whatever you do, don't fly over the airport. So on the way home, I was thinking, oh, boy, I'm in trouble. I'm going to be sitting for the next <laughs> in the next couple of weeks doing potato duty. I don't know. So, so that night when that happened, he tells you not to fly over the airport. 
your air on station somewhere you're you're up in the sky i assume you got a call from somebody on the ground that said hey we've got to have we've got to have support here or we're all going to die is that is that the decision that had to be made at that point well it started out with so, so you know the what they didn't mention in there was it was uh general karzai immediately after that president karzai was the guy that the ODA team, the uh, special forces team was protecting on the ground. And so our job was protect them. And uh, the Taliban was sending out little groups of snipers, you know, three and four guys at a time coming out from the airport and from under bridges and stuff like that, taking pot shots at them. So it started off just being overhead, you know, president Karzai and trying to protect him a little bit and finding, finding the guys that were trying to sneak up on them. Mm. Well, that, you know, that led to, you found those guys, shoot them up and then you find where they were coming from and more guys are coming out and you shoot them up. And then eventually you get to, you know, Kandahar airport and that's where they're coming from. And that's where their little base was. And that's where they were pouring guys out of. And so it was kind of a incremental thing, you know, going from just sitting overhead, a team of guys trying to protect them to going after who's trying to take pot shots at them. Right. So I wanted to start with the start. And I wanted to read that citation. Very proud of you for that, obviously. But, you know, I always tell people on this podcast, and I'm going back to our days now in Hamilton, Alabama, where we grew up. I tell these insurance agents, if you want your kids to be heads, let them run around with heads. If you want your kids to be good people, let them run around with good people. And I've said multiple times on this show that all of most of my friends that I have from Hamilton are all more wildly successful than I am. You are a perfect example of that. Talk to them a little bit what it was like to grow up in Hamilton, Alabama during that time. Bradley, this may be, you know, he's got all the naked pictures on me. Okay. So this may be your time to shine because I'm sure he can tell you all the things you ever wanted to know about Scott Howell when he was growing up. Let me click my pen. Let's start with the eighth grade. (laughs) So Nathan, what was, tell, tell everybody what it was like growing up in Hamilton, Alabama in the eighties. Well, I think probably when we were six or seven, you probably gave me my first bloody nose when we got that set of boxing gloves and decided to go to it. And <laughs> there's your house. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what, one of my very first memories as a kid, you had invited me over to your house and you and I were trying to play and your older brother, Clint, would not leave us alone. And you and Clint tied up as most brothers do. And I remember standing in the garage and being mortified that your dad had gotten out the bird dog flushing whip after both of y'all trying to get you off each other. And that was one of my first earliest memories I have as a kid is Gordon running around chasing you and Clint with a flushing whip, whipping both of you because y'all, y'all wouldn't quit fighting. Well, you know, that was just another Saturday afternoon that was- in the house right there. <laughs> And that makes the 5th of December just another Tuesday night, you know. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So tell everybody, you know, you served a 24-year career in the military, and I did four in the Marine Corps. Lessons learned throughout that time in terms of leadership, because our audience are are independent and captive insurance agents, uh, agency owners, who have to, on a daily basis, basis they have employees they 
have to be great leaders to have a great business. But tell us some of the leadership lessons that you learned in the in the United States Air Force in your time in. Oh my gosh, how much time we got? Where do much I start? As you, much as you need, brother. You know, I think the 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 first thing is what kind of example you are to the people around you. You know, if if you want people to model a behavior, you model that behavior yourself. I think is probably the the big thing. And I think the first job of a leader is to create more leaders. Mm. I think if you're not going into a, a job being in charge of stuff with the idea in the back of your mind that you're going to create somebody to replace you and somebody to replace them and, and build a, a strong bench of leaders, that's the first job, I think, of a leader. But then model, modeling the character that you want shown is probably the next biggest thing. Yeah. Did you, I know you were the, the person in command of a lot of different special operations units, a lot of different sure. Air Force places that you were at, but you always had a boss too. You know, uh, we've talked Absolutely. about a little bit about that. And was there anybody that you served under at your time in the Air Force that you really tried to emulate yourself after? Oh, I've got a, a ton of people, uh, General Brad Highholt, General Jim Slife, Sean Farrell, General Farrell, all still in all uh, great mentors to me. I think I, I learned most of my lessons uh, from them. Uh, they handed over a playbook to me of, you know, what to do when you go into a unit. Mm. And uh, I think, you know, one of the things is is mentoring. I think this podcast that you have for your insurance fellows, that's a great way to get to a large audience, right? Mm. You can give, you can mentor these guys with the benefit of your experiences uh, in a large forum here with, with the podcast, uh, that's mentoring, right? So that's one thing you got to do mentor the many, but you groom the few. So you pick mm. out guys that you really want to replace you and move up to your position. Those are the few and you give them the benefit of their own experiences by putting them in situations and jobs. That's going to give them the benefit of figuring stuff out theirself, mm. not just from your experience, but by their own experience, you know, and that's how you start growing guys. You know, it's funny that you bring that up. One thing that Bradley talks about, has talked about a couple of times on this podcast is, you know, back in the day, the thing was writing a book, you know, you, you wrote a book and that, that gave you some credibility and, you know, you, you, you did it kind of that way. And, and today, uh, as we sit here in 2023, the new book is the podcast, right? And it's uh, a door opener. it is, it's the door opener. That's exactly what it is. Nathan, tell me a little bit about what it was like your time. I know you served in Afghanistan. Were you in Iraq as well? No, I pretty much was was Afghanistan most of my career. Uh, started in 2001, you know, chasing bin Laden around Tora Bora and was there when we finally got him, you know, in 2010. I think uh, 2011 was probably my last time in Afghanistan, it was 11 or 12. So good 10 years plus. I, I was in uh, Karshikhanabad, Uzbekistan in uh, 2003 when Iraq kicked off and uh, was kind of waiting around thinking we would end up going to Iraq from, from that side, uh, from the east. But uh, that kind of never happened. I stayed on the Chase Bin Laden around group for a while. So now that the guy that shot him has come out and been on every podcast in America, except the insurance guy's <laughs> yeah, podcast. And we could probably get him if we uh, wanted to. <laughs> great story. This is a fantastic story. I think everybody needs to listen to this. So Nathan is in, uh, he's in Afghanistan and I'll let you tell the story, Nate. 
if if you want to, if you if you don't, if you can't, if you don't feel like you should, and we can always edit it and out. We can always edit it out. But you told me the story when we were having dinner one night about you were innocently sitting at, uh, I guess, in your barracks or doing something on base, and you get a call to your boss's office that you got to be out on the flight deck at three o'clock in the morning. Tell that story. Well, it was uh, you know a call from my boss and. So I'm in Kandahar and I'm running the special ops air part uh, right. out of Kandahar. And uh, the boss said, Hey, I want everything you got up tonight. I'm like, Ooh, boss, I don't know if you know what you're asking for or not. Right. Because if we throw everything up in the air tonight, that means guys are going to fly and then they're going to have to come back and sleep and regenerate. Right. You're going to lose tomorrow night, maybe even the next night. If you put everything up tonight, we need to, you know, that's why we, only parcel out a little bit every night so we can keep it going every night. Mm-hmm. And I got the quick comeback of, you know, Nate, I, I hear you, but I'm telling you to put everything up in the air tonight. I was like, Ooh, okay. This is going to be, this <laughs> is going to be something we're going after. But at this time, at this point in time, he's not telling you anything. He's not no, saying. He never did tell me. Why. Probably the highest ranking guy did not know what was going on. Right. Cause my boss certainly knew <laughs> I should have put it together trying to think of what to say and what not to say. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we inserted General McRaven, Admiral McRaven, sorry. We uh, inserted Admiral McRaven up near the Pakistan border in a, in a kind of a secretive way. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of unusual because he usually flies around in a nice jet and stuff like that. And sure, helicopters and makes a big show. And this time he wanted to be completely under the radar. So, you know, that, that day we had snuck him in up to Ford operating base. And that was so he could be pre-positioned to identify the body and meet the team when they came back from the hit that night. Right. And so that was the first indicator that I totally missed. And then my boss told me to put everything up in the air. That was all the gunships, all the talons, all the helicopters, all the, you know, the, the guys that were going to get them in and out and get them refueled and all that kind of stuff. The, you know, we had gunships up on the Pakistan border, you know, ready to go in if all hell broke loose and that kind of stuff. So uh, it was a big night. Yeah. And I didn't quite put together, you know, it'd been 10 years we've been chasing this guy and I thought it was just going to be another of the, you know, mid to upper level, you know, agents in the way. Right. Uh, but, but this one was, this one was the big, big show. And uh, we did that. So you, you get back to the base and it's like the very, it's the next day. Cause you guys come home that night or early in the morning and it's like the next day that you find out that yeah. what you've just done is what, you know, what ended up happening. Right. All right. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. That would be my move. I'd be the guy to go do all that and then not figure it out till the next day. What was happening. Right. So. <laughs> but that That's a good, uh, that's a good, you know, probably tell that, uh, you know, when we want to keep something secret, we can, you know? Right. So, Talk to my audience right now a little bit about you transition out of the military in, I believe, 2018, 2017, somewhere in that range. End of 2018, yeah. And, of course, FedEx hires you to go fly planes all over the world in like a week. Like most people wait like years to get to fly a FedEx, big jumbo jet FedEx all over the world. And within, what, six, eight months, you're in a FedEx plane flying all over the world now? Yeah, I was pretty lucky, I think. And I, let me just go ahead and tell you, I love it when you send me sunsets from all over the world. That's pretty damn strong <laughs> yeah. when you do that. Tell me some lessons you've learned since you've been at FedEx. What's been going on over there? Uh, you know, it's, since the topic is leadership and management, I, I think 
watching the balance between being a career military guy and always talking leadership, leadership, leadership. And when you get to a corporation that the bottom line is how much money you can make uh, and you start, nobody goes by leadership titles anymore. They go by management titles. So that dichotomy between leadership and management, what's, what's similar, what's different, what drives leaders, what drives managers, Mm. uh, that has been the most interesting thing to me to, to watch. And for, for an example, you know, leaders, you know, you, you want to trust people. You want to hand stuff down to the lowest level. You want to uh, get guys doing what they know is right and making decisions and then standing behind those guys making decisions. And FedEx is, is good at that, you know, but when it comes down to the bottom line, managers want complete compliance. They don't want guys going off script. They don't want guys, you know, thinking for themselves. They go right. right. It's it's too much, uh, too much to deal with. I think so. Uh, metrics and uh, the bottom line of money and uh, you know compliance seems to be uh, one of the big differences between I think the words leadership and management as I mm. see it from military to to corporate. It's interesting. I. I, I... I read something the other day that was talking about the different types of delegation. And it said a lot of, a lot of businesses and a lot of leaders in the corporate world do good with the first part of delegation, which is delegating tasks. Like people are okay with delegating tasks where you sort of transform from a really good, from a, from an average corporate leader to a good corporate leader is delegating decisions. Mm. So allowing people to make decisions for your company and, and not only does it does it empower them to be better leaders, but it takes it off your plate completely. Right. And a lot of a lot of business owners struggle to let go of that mm. second one. Mm. No doubt. You always want to uh, keep doing the things you're good at. Right. So when you get good at selling insurance, I'm sure, you know, you you get some guys under you. You want to kind of control how they're selling insurance. But really, you know, if you move up a little bit and you're like, well, now I got to groom guys to sell insurance or I got to groom guys to learn this business. You got to take your hands out of the actual day-to-day business and start focusing on how you grow those people into the next level. Kind it's of a hard thing. transition. Yeah. It's we a talk, hard transition. We, we, you we don't talk, have to give up control, right? Exactly. We, we talk a lot about in the insurance space, being an agency owner, you can do one of two things. You can either work on the business or you can work in the business. And the problem with working in the business is it makes it almost impossible to scale. You yep. you have a tendency to kind of stay about where you are if you're always going to be the one that's doing trying to do everything and in, in, inside the agency instead of working on the actual business itself. Part of the leadership talk that I gave last year centered around the fact that, and I wanted to get your opinion on this because I don't know from a officer's perspective, 24 years in the Air Force and what, what you were able to accomplish during that time. One of the things that I've always seen as being a little bit, um, uh, something we need to improve on in our, in, in our industry is in the insurance space, Nathan, you you go to work as an insurance agent, maybe you're a scratch agent, meaning you don't have any business when you start. And then one day you wake up and you've got eight, eight employees. And throughout that transition, there's never any formal leadership training 
or opportunities for someone in the insurance space to go to some kind of leadership school or mm-hmm. or do something that might can help them in that way. Now there's there's you know like the one city world tour that Bradley and I just did down in Austin, Texas. There's things like that that you can go to. But I think the big difference I see is is in the military you do have opportunities as you move up the ranks uh you know billets come available or or something may come available where you can actually go to a school that helps train uh those younger guys to be great military leaders does that does that make sense absolutely yeah i think the military does real well at that as far as uh, giving guys opportunity and education and 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 jobs to uh expound and and get get your own practice get your own experience right. at leadership right but i will say you know I think from growing up in Hamilton, Alabama, and our group of guys and and the sports we played and the things we did and hanging out, you learn pretty much everything you need to know about how to deal with people right there at home. And so then the rest of the time is just putting that uh, teamwork and character building, you know, that you've learned growing up to use in some in some field, whether that's the military or insurance or something like that. Now the military does give you lots of opportunity to practice that. And, you know, and I think, you know, when, when you start talking about businesses too, military or, or corporate, I, I I think the Romans had it right. You know, the span of control is key and, you know, three to seven was what they like to three people to seven people is about your span of control. Mm -hmm. I would say it's more like seven to 11, maybe in the military. Mm -hmm. And, I tried to keep my span of control around, you know, seven to 11 people. If I'm trying to handle more people than that, I can handle the people, but I can't groom those people. I can't really mm-hmm. pour myself into many more than about seven to 11. Right. So I, I think that's one thing companies could focus on a little bit is you gotta, you gotta set your, your barriers up there somewhere that you're going to, if you're going to grow leaders, you're going to mentor people and then groom them and then give them the benefit of their own experiences. You can you can only do that with a certain amount of people. And mm-hmm. I think we've kind of known that it's somewhere around, you know, plus or minus seven for a while. Those three to seven or seven to 11, these are people answering directly to you that you right. can you can have more hands on to teach, to help grow, to develop their leadership skills. You know, from from uh, a small flight of 15 people to all the way up to the wing level where I had, you know, over a thousand people, you know, sometimes 5000 people. You can mentor those people up on stage. You can you can give them the benefit of your experiences, you know, all kinds of ways by talking to them, communicating with them, email, podcast, whatever you want to do. But when it comes down to the real business of building character giving people opportunities to make the decisions that mean something to the organization. Uh, You can only focus, you can only pour yourself into so many people. And I think, you know, that seven to 11 is about right myself. You can have the opportunity to get to a lot of people, but when you, when you really want to focus on the big stuff, you know, you have to scope that down. Mm -hmm. I think. Well, I think a lot of insurance agency owners too, and Hanley and I talked about this. We did a, dual presentation basically back in May uh, in Cleveland. And we talked about how a lot of agency owners, when they're scaling, 
don't put proper managers in place, director of operations, sales managers, training manager, et cetera. And they sort of keep it, let's say you have seven people, right? Which was about the point that I started feeling like I was at my capacity. So it's interesting that you say that, Nathan, and you have a boss and then you have seven people that all report to this one person. Right. Well, not only is that stressful for that one person and they can't adequately manage those people, the, the employees don't like it either. Right. Because you got seven people trying to get your time. Your time for your people is divided by seven, whereas if you had managers in place, and so it's, it, what, what happens is it becomes like a flat culture versus putting leaders in place to replace you. There's a little bit of a chain of command there, which is, which, which is really better for the team. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah, I've never really given that much thought, but I think you're both correct on that. I think uh, it's probably something I need to do a little bit better job of in my organization as well. I, Nathan, you have commanded thousands of men – Thousands of men. You have, you know, been on bases when you're the commander of Holbert Air Force Base, right? Harder job that, or putting up with three boys running around the house and having to raise them as young men, going through a life in the military. That's a great question, Scott. How? <laughs> that is a great question. I'll tell you, uh, in the military, you grow up in the environment where you, you know, uh, Trace and I have this conversation fairly often, how much time I poured into my airmen, my people, versus pouring into the family. And Mm -hmm. at some point, you've got to determine, you've got to draw a line and say, okay, I'm going to give at least this much to my family. Otherwise, you can pour yourself right into that business Mm -hmm. and, and neglect your family uh, to everybody's detriment. And I think the biggest thing about one of the big things I tried to uh, get to my guys was the work-life balance. Mm-hmm. And I tried to model that by being gone at going time and not staying. Because it's, you know, you, you get successful by working hard and working harder than than the other guy, right? Mm-hmm. And and being more dedicated than than probably the average guy, right? But at some point, you have to draw a boundary on that or you start to lose yourself and you start to lose those that love you. And, you know, the family's going to be around a lot longer than the corporation. So I think at some point you got to figure out where that work-life balance is and make sure you're driving that into your guys as well. That, uh, because it's hard raising, it's hard raising kids and God bless my wife. We moved around every year or two for at least a dozen years. And, uh, that much moving and that much churn and that much change is, is a lot for a mom when, the dad is working more than being at home, you know? So uh, it takes a great team. I think a family team to raise good kids, you know, and certainly the mom is the, the biggest factor in that. Well, hello there guys, excuse me for interrupting your regularly scheduled podcast, but I'm here today to get you out of aggregator and cluster jail. This may be the most important message I've ever delivered on the Insurance Guys podcast. Guys, are you a member of a cluster or an aggregator? Does your contract have exit fees, termination payments, buyback provisions? It's time to get your freedom back and do what we did here at iProtect Insurance. Join the AC, the future of aggregators in our industry. 
Best decision we've ever made, guys. Best decision we've ever made. No entry fees, small $200 a month membership fee, over 50-plus carriers for direct appointments. And by the way, new ones coming on board each and every month. You keep 100% of your commissions, profit sharing every year. Guys, we have made in the last two years, each year our agency has made over $100,000 in profit sharing. Here's the best part, guys. And this is the part I'm the most passionate about. No termination or exit fees. You give the AC 60 days notice and you're free. You go get direct appointments wherever you want. There's no buyback provisions, no exit clauses. Guys, if you're a member of another aggregator and you have termination fees, buyback provisions, exit clauses, every single policy you write, you're digging that hole just a little bit deeper. And one day you're not going to be able to get out of it. It's going to be too much. You're going to be taking out a second mortgage on your home to try to get out of a cluster group. Unbelievable. Guys, go to AC Free. Dot org. That's acfree.org and register. Find out why over 650 agencies and $3 billion in premium have chosen the AC. And guys, here's the best part. But wait, there's more. Mention the Insurance Guys podcast when you talk to these guys and you get six months. That's six months of no membership fee just by mentioning the Insurance Guys podcast. Go today, www.acfree.org, and let me help you get your freedom back. Have a great day. Well, what most people probably don't know about you, and we've had some brief conversations about this, you had the opportunity to make general. Did you or did you not? Well, had you stayed in and taken another duty station somewhere else? Nothing's written in stone, you know, and this is a public forum. I, I would say I had high chances. High, high, chances. high and, chances. And I think you made the decision and your family made the decision that, you know, you guys got to back down to Niceville, Florida, which you both loved. You enjoyed it down there. It was somewhere that you guys apparently wanted to settle. And that kind of that was kind of the end of the road. And I think you knew that it was time to, it was time to move on. So it, it, it was definitely a family decision. And, uh, it, you know, our, our next duty assignment was going to be Korea, uh, right. as a family for two years with a senior in high school. Right. And so we had uh, moved our senior in high school to Seoul, Korea for a year. Mm-hmm. And then we would have stayed for the second year and he would have come back to the States by himself to go to college for a year. And, that was kind of the one of the main kickers of just uh, mm. probably the time to to get out and just settle down in one spot and get everybody through one school and right try to do that. So I, th- I think you made a wise decision, my brother. So Bradley, I'm gonna ask the question for you: What was Scott Howell like growing up? Go ahead, Nathan. I don't know if you I don't even know if you want to answer that question or not, but. I'm sure well, Bradley. I'm sure Bradley's wondered that openly. Scott's got as much uh, or more dish on me than I do on him. <laughs> I got to watch what I say, but you know what? What I thought about in my military career was, you know, periodically think, you know, why am I doing this? What What am I doing this for? 
And my thoughts always went back to, I'm doing this for the people of Hamilton, Alabama. That, those are my people. Those are the people I grew up with. That's who I love. That's who made me. And uh, so it was, you know, a super special time. I, my kids grew up in the military. They moved every couple of years and they had each other. So they're all really best friends. And and they move to new environments real well and adapt and, and fit in and that kind of stuff. And that that's great. I grew up in one spot. We grew up in Hamilton, Alabama. I've known Scott Howe since I was wearing diapers and uh, all the way through college. You know, we were together. We, ne we never moved around. We had each other the whole time. So there's a different kind of, you know, background there than, mm -hmm. than what my kids have. But I love it. And I think that uh, that. Uh, I don't know, Scott Howe, man. He had a lot of energy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll tell. I'll tell. I'm you, surprised. I'll tell you the. I'll tell you. Oh, this. I got to tell you one thing. I, so good things, bad things. One of the worst things in in the world was right around I don't know seventh eighth grade. I stopped growing. Scott Howe kept growing. Uh -huh. <laughs> he took my point guard position from middle school to high school basketball. Well, well it hit me the other day. Your son I'm is so your height. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just your son closing, is your closing height. in on it. And he's 16. Just turned 16. Yesterday. Yeah. 30th. January and 30th. Yeah. He's taller than me. Yeah. Like, I'm like, my yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a late bloomer, but he's getting there. I'll tell you this, Nathan, uh, going back to your kids kind of growing up in that military family, which I saw a lot of, I, you and I lived about uh, at different times. You were in, I believe, Mendenhall, weren't you? Over in the UK. Hall, England, yeah. Yeah. So I was in East Coast, which was about an hour, hour and 15 minutes from Mendenhall. But I will say this about kids I've met that live that type of nomadic life all the way up through high school and college in the military. They do seem to be very well-rounded. They seem to not meet a stranger. They've moved around enough that um, – I don't know. There's a certain, certain spark there. I think with kids that, that did that, that, um, you know, change doesn't seem to bother them much because they, they went through it, you know, when they were mm -hmm. growing up There's something to that. I, I, I really believe that it's a different from what you and I grew up with, but I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I agree. No, that's a It's a great thing. Yeah. It's just different than what we grew up doing. hundred percent, hundred percent. I, you know, I can't sit here and think of any other questions I had for you today. I just wanted to bring you on here. I, I tell these guys all the time that in the insurance industry, I said, you got to understand something. My friends are all more wildly successful than I am. And I'm sure they're like, yeah, 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 whatever. Well, I wanted to prove once and for all that what I'm saying is the truth. And well, I tell you I, what, Scott, I think about it, uh, you know, the older I get, we were kind of wild and crazy. Oh, yeah. We middle school and high school. There wasn't a lot we didn't do from, you know, climbing up the outside of yep, fire, fire towers. towers to running the cars as fast as we could and jumping off cliffs and uh, diving off uh, steep cliffs into the Buddy Hatchie River. You know, there was some crazy stuff we did. And, and we weren't all always uh, the best mannered kids growing no, up. But no. you know what? Everybody had a good heart underneath. Yeah. And once we uh, kind of matured a little bit and grew up a little bit, I think uh, I think that started coming out more in us. And, and you know, it just took us a while to mature and, and uh, I don't know, grow up a little bit, I guess. 
But at the bottom of it, we had a good core group of guys uh, who I love to this day. And, you know, one of my favorite times is getting together at Lake Tuscaloosa every summer. And and, uh, the years I'm not there, I hate it because uh, it's just good for the soul to remember where you came from and and who made you and who knows you, you know, other than the resume right there. They they know the real you and and what kind of person you are, right? So that's what I love about you. You remember the night you and Doug and I decided after we'd had a few adult beverages to go fly. You you were in student training, uh, that Cessna airplane there at Hamilton, little old bitty runway. We decided about eleven o'clock one night we we're going to fly to Tupelo, Mississippi. Okay, for what? No reason. Okay. Right. Uh, Nathan that seems logical. Nathan flies us to Tupelo, Mississippi. It's well, we're probably a sophomore in high school. Uh, I mean, co- college and junior somewhere in that range. We get over to Tupelo, Mississippi. And I look over at Nathan. I said, "Where are we gonna go now? I mean, we're in Tupelo now. Oh, oh, I mean, we're you know way up there." And I think we talked about going down to Panama City Beach, and then we ended up just going <laughs> back to Hamilton and landing the plane. But stuff like that was probably not the smartest decision we've ever made. But we lived through it, didn't we? Yeah, that was all you drinking, uh, and not me though, because I was flying the airplane. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I. I. I uh, I'll tell you another one though, the, the one that scared me to death, and this la- lasted with me through. This gave me a lot of uh, things to think about and stuff to never happen again when I was in the military. Because I, I will tell you, one of the first nights we were in Afghanistan, uh, we were flying out of Uzbekistan, which is north of Afghanistan. We we're flying over the Hindu Kush. We're down in the southern part of Afghanistan near the Pakistan border. And uh, getting gas was kind of an issue sometimes because mm-hmm. there weren't that many tankers out there. And uh, one night we're down around the Kandahar, uh, south of Kandahar near, near Pakistan. And uh, we start running low on gas. And our tanker had been shot at and had moved from where he was supposed to be to give us gas and he was nowhere to be found. Luckily, long story short, uh, we ended up getting a call to go into Pakistan to try to find this guy. And one of my uh, infrared camera operators found him out on the horizon and uh, gave me a beeline to him. And we intercepted that guy without ever having talked to him, got up in behind him and he gave us a full tank of gas without ever talking to him. And fortunate, cause I was pretty fortunate and then I uh, had a really successful night that night and made it back home. But we almost ran out of gas. And the plan was, hey, if we don't get this tanker, we're going to land at some airport in Pakistan nobody had ever heard of before, unannounced, you know, no permission to be in the country, whatever. You know, and we're going to unload a couple of gunners with some some weapons and, you know, get a gas truck and fill ourselves up and get on our merry way. I did not like that idea. Fortunately, we we got the tanker and got our gas and moved on the way. What kept coming back to my mind was me and Doug in that Cessna and Hamilton. Uh, probably Line, I know y'all flew over my parents' house because they love to tell that story to this day. 18 years old. We're like, Doug, what do you want to do? I wanted Doug to fly one time. Yeah. So I'm going to have Doug go fly. And so we flew over your parents' house and then we went over to Molly Payne's house because that was easy to see, right? The big South Fort Ranch there. Right, right. And so we were out over Delmo's house and I'm letting Doug fly, you know, just do some circles and stuff. And then all of a sudden, pa 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 pa. And that Cessna started to run out of gas. The the gas uh, fuel meter didn't work on it. And uh, <laughs> we ran out of gas. And uh-huh. here we are headed back to the airport trying to get there before we completely ran out of gas and about over Walmart 
the prop stopped spinning and we're gliding at that point. And Doug and I are both freaking out. Okay, we're going to have to put it down the Walmart parking lot. Okay, we made it past Walmart. We're going to have to put it down on the airport road. Okay, oh, I think we can make it over the pine trees. Maybe we can make it over the pine trees. <laughs> we, we were coming 90 degrees off to that runway. We got 20 feet over the runway, made a 90-degree hard turn to the left, and landed right in the middle of the runway, rolled without any power, off the runway, up next to the gas station, little gas pump there, and and the plane stopped. I never even touched the brakes. Wow. And I thought, okay, that was about as close as you can make it. I never want to have that happen to me again. Doug and I got out of the plane and laid down on the ground and started kissing the ground <laughs> and then uh, crying and then laughing. And then, you know, we filled that plane up with gas and then left and never told a soul. And uh, I thought, okay, that's going to stick with me for a while. Yeah, that, I, I've heard that story. My parents love to tell that story. I had to tell them the the back end of that story was y'all nearly had to land the damn plane in the Walmart parking lot that day. But <laughs> man, I, I just I'm just so thankful and blessed to, to call you a friend and to have you on this show today. I just I wish you nothing but the best, Nathan. I, I look forward to hopefully seeing you this summer, depending on what your schedule looks like. And keep sending me pictures, man. I love to get pictures. All right, we'll do. I sure appreciate you having me on, Scott. And I, I just thank the world of you. I'd do anything for you because that, that's who we are. Well, I thank you for saying that. And uh, shout out to all of our guys from Hamilton, Alabama. We love each and every one of you. And uh, I guess we'll see you in late July sometime. But uh, right. as I end every podcast, rewards come from action, not discussion. Get <laughs> your ass out from behind that desk today. Go out into the big, bad world create relationships, develop friendships with good people and stop running TPS reports. Go out there today in the big bad world and make money for your family, for your wife, for your husband, for your kids, college fund, for your kids, for your uh, parents and in-laws that are struggling out there right now. Go make money for them, write good business for the companies that you represent and write good business for the agencies that you represent. Nathan green. I love you brother. Hang in there. All right. Be safe out there. Guys, you are listening to the Insurance Guys podcast, and we love each and every one of you. Thank you so much for being a part of our family, and we'll see you back here real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com or email me at scott at iprotectinsurance.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to portalinsurance.com or email him at bradley at portalinsurance.com. Guys, we love you. Thank you so much for listening to our show and being a part of our family. And we look forward to seeing you again next week on the next episode of the Insurance Guys podcast. Take care.